Hi there, welcome to the More Civil Podcast. This is a podcast for Blacks, Asians, and those who love them. I am Mo, and I am your host, ready to spark your curiosity as I take you on this adventurous ride of exploring cultures through the stories of my guests from all over the world. On this show, we get really personal, discussing salient issues that are relevant to our contemporary age and also building community around them. As our guests exercise courage and vulnerability in sharing their life's experiences, we hope that in turn, you are inspired by them and that you get the courage needed to set your own stories free. Enjoy the ride and thank you so much for listening. Welcome back to the show, everyone. This is Mo. And for those joining us for the first time, well, I just said my name, Mo. And I am the host of this platform. Thank you for joining us. And today I have an amazing, creative, and very, very, I want to say, her writing and just her experience. There's so many things to learn from it. And today we're going to unpack just a little bit of it in the next 30, 40 minutes. So her name is Judy Jin Kwan. She's a writer, she's an actor. She's also a director and a producer. She grew up in a Korean-American video store where she fell in love with the art of filmmaking and storytelling. She was born and raised in L.A. She has spent her time between Korea and America as a child. Not feeling like she belonged anywhere, she turned to music and the arts. At the age of 17, she started act- acting and went on to you know, have a successful commercial career. She broke that mold for Asian-American actors by taking on non-stereotypical roles, which is kind of a big deal. So applause for that. She has appeared in numerous films and television series and acted in more than 100 commercials. She co-directed, wrote, produced, and stars in the scripted comedy series called New Friend, which is about the clashes of culture, color, and class among moms in gentrifying Venice Beach. And I, you know, watched a couple of episodes on YouTube. Go, you know, catch up on that, guys. And I'll link all of this in the show notes. So everyone, without further ado, please join me in welcoming Ms. Judy Jane Kwan to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. So um, I have to warn everybody that I do have rogue chickens running around and they walked in. <laughs> talking, so I gotta love it. My my listeners know that never in the um in history of the show have we had like we've had like cats interrupting, babies, you know, dogs, but chickens, so well for it. It's okay. It's all it's all part of the fun. So um like I was telling you before we began recording, I have read a lot about you. I have also gone to your YouTube YouTube page as well as your Instagram page, just to, you know, get a little bit more about you. And you have written a lot. You've almost like provided breadcrumbs to your life story for anyone that is interested to, you know, go on your website and just read more about it. But for those that are here to do that before listening to this episode, can you just tell us a little bit about growing up in Korea, especially the impact your grandma had on your life? Well, grandma, my grandmother raised me because my mom was not really in the picture. So, um, and she's a generation removed from like, a, you know, a mom, should I say. So she raised me with the more traditional Korean uh, ways, I guess. And she's, she was my mom to me. So she, I, I, she's without her, I wouldn't be 
where I am today because she's the one that gave me, um, showed me love and showed me unconditional love and all that great stuff. So, um, yeah, I think that was the question that I answered. <laughs> oh, yeah, you did, you did, you did. And I think um, some of your childhood memories really, like, from your blog, that is, there are so many back and forth moving from Korea to the U.S. and back and back. And you, you know, beautifully captured just the intensity it had on you. You not even wanted to come back to the U.S. Can you share a little bit more about that and why it was very important for you to be with your grandma? Well, I mean, my grandmother uh, and myself, I mean, we wanted to be in Korea, but my dad, he's, he's the one that was adventurous and he came out to America to find adventure kind of deal. I mean, because we weren't like one of the typical what you always see in the... Um, uh, in the main me- mainstream media where uh, you come here for a better life or to enrich your finances or anything like that. We weren't um, that kind of family because we were actually a very well-to-do and respected family in Korea. Um, but my dad was adventurous and he was antsy. And I think it has part to do with being in the war. You know, they went through the Korean War. That was rough. And... Um, uh, he was uh, kind of, I, I think part of him was trying to run away from his past. I think a lot of immigrants, that's why they immigrate, because I think a lot of them just are running from something. So my dad decided to come to America. And so we all naturally just followed. Um, and I really didn't want to come uh, live here, even though I was born here. So I was born here. My mom is uh I guess 1.5 generation. I don't know how you would number it, but my mom served in the U.S. Army and they, my mom and my dad met here and she was born here. I mean, I, I think she was born here. I'm not 100% sure on her past because she left me when I was a child. Um, and that's why I was being raised by my grandma. Um, but I went back and forth a lot because, you know, my, my, my dad was in the United States with my mom and they had a kind of a rocky marriage. So they weren't together very long. And so then he went back and forth and then I was being raised by my grandma in Korea. So I came back and forth a lot. And at one point I was in South Carolina with, uh, my mom and my dad where we were in an army base, uh, barracks kind of deal for the, for families. And it was like a trailer home specifically for, I think, for people of color, because I remember the other um, Navy or, or Army officers, the families were people of color. For some reason, they segregated us <laughs> into the section in the trailer, um, trailer homes. But um, yeah, so I went back and forth a lot. And what was the question again? <laughs> no, no, no. I think you've, you've, you've explained why the back and forth. You know, your parents, yeah. you know, and your dad trying to, you know, one from his past and your mom being, you know, part of the U.S. Army. Just wanted to give listeners like a context as to why the move was, was that. Now, let's talk a little bit about just America. In your articles, you have, you've described your experience in America, which as an immigrant myself, I can relate. But of course, there are peculiarities with your story. Take, for example, you described America as a desolate place with unfriendly faces. Mm-hmm. And then you said your life in America has always been this constant flight for um, air. Can you just, you know, walk us through the beginning part? Because you had it really, really rough. And I think even your family dynamic and being raised by your grandma and your mom not really being in the picture also added another layer. And then even describing your family, like the Kwans as the Kennedys of Korea and 
coming from that royalty and then coming to the U.S. where nobody even cared what your last name was. You were just this monolithic, you know, identity. Can you just walk us through what that was like for you? I mean, it was tough because there was no community here. That's the thing. I mean, if, even if, though I had a my my mom and dad had a rocky marriage and all this stuff, we were established in Korea. Um, I had a community. I had people. I had support. Versus uh, being in America, America is a very lonely place. It's a very capitalistic place. It's a very self-serving place um, where if you're not serving the needs of um, some certain kind of people, here, especially the American culture, then they don't look at you twice. They don't really um, stop and and ask you how you're doing, like for reals, <laughs> not just like how are you, and like they don't want to hear it. Um, it's not they don't have this you don't have this kind of support uh, especially i guess when i came here there was no support i had zero support from any and i had no community so it was really difficult because everything i had to learn on my own and just um hitting the wall a lot and just falling a lot and just making mistakes and i didn't have like um a guardian or like um you know somebody that would help you guide you like a guide guide i didn't have that so it was really rough it was really rough because i'm also learning a whole another culture you know um even though i was born here i went back and forth a lot and and um i didn't really um start living here until i moved back when i was in second grade so when i um um, came back here with my grandma, and it was it was just rough. And we're living. Um, all of a sudden, we come from a very a wealthy past in the background, but then we landed here in um, in Koreatown um, amongst all the immigrants, and we were struggling financially. Everything was just really, really, really living in poverty, and and just a lot of the. Um, Thing that things that you don't realize as far as systemic racism, you don't realize it until, especially as an Asian American, it's not so black and black and white. It's not so obvious. It's not as in your face. It's just something you notice years later when you look back. You're like, oh, I had to experience this like this because of the system that I live in. Wow, because as you were even talking about your experience, I cast my memories back to just when I started here. I mean, I didn't come from reality or anything like that, but there was a huge adjustment that had to be made, you know, coming to the U.S. And I think that the challenge has always been not really... When we think about immigration issues, we tend to think of it like, oh, it only bothers, like, certain classes of people or certain kinds of people. Now, hearing you speak as, you know, a Korean-American, I don't think many people are aware that, you know, issues like these are prevalent among many, many cultures in the U.S., not just, you know, Mexicans or Africans. Like, we have people that, you know, are going through immigration issues and even, like, family separation. So even hearing you speak about this, especially the challenge it has gone through, it really cuts across so many other stories. But I'm glad that, you know, you as an Asian American, you're adding to that, you know, pool of conversation that immigration issues are things that, you know, affect a lot of people, not just the ones the media tend to portray a lot. Yeah, I mean, and it's really tough, too, because... um you know, I'm I'm an, I'm an American. I'm an American citizen. My my mom served in the U.S. Army, uh, and America is supposed to serve me and I guess protect me. But then, if you're trying to prison my grandma because she is uh, an illegal immigrant, how are you protecting me and serving me? You know, because uh, that's my family. So you're gonna throw my family out of. Uh, 
of America just because, you know, I, obviously it's the, the skin color, I think, because I don't think we would have that as much of uh, a, a people battle if, say, she came from Europe. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's yeah. just my, 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 I guess, impression of it, because I, I, I haven't actually extensively written about my immigrant um, experience as far as I actually had to go through immigration court with my grandmother because you she said- was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was really tough. And then, and then just going through all the immigration court system here in America, you just see how broken it is. It's just really unfair. My grandmother was stuck in um, um, a weird place where they said that because she's not the only, uh, I mean, when I was trying to, when my grandmother was still alive and I was trying to get her um, recognized in America, the thing they said is that she had to be either petitioned by her mom or father which they're dead because she's a grandma and um, or her immediate son or immediate daughter. And the only son, uh, only person she had was my dad. And then when I was trying to do this, it was before my dad passed away. But after my dad passed away, I was continuing to try to get her legalized. My dad was dead. So I'm like, so wait, I can't have my grandmother live here in the United States. Although like back in Korea, there's nobody there for her because I'm her only family. Um, but then they said to me, she's so old that they're not going to, uh, they're never going to make her legal, but they're never yeah. going to back either yeah yeah they're not gonna put her on a plane because they're afraid of the liability because if she dies midway on a flight then they're liable for it so i'm like so she's in a place where of nowhere being nobody in this no place you know which was not um it's it's just not fair (laughs) i mean life life was i mean it's really really hard when you're not documented and you don't have any documents to prove who you are or anything you know i mean I just want to say kudos to your grandma. Like she, almost like trying to raise your your child's child. It's not something a grandma should do as a main thing. I mean, they step in as auxiliary parents, but almost like even reading your story, it felt like she was she was a parent for all intents and purposes. Yeah. And given that age was on her side, and so reading your blog about just you know the the problems you guys have to have when you had housing insecurity, for example. And how she even ended up, you know, falling ill and not getting health care because she couldn't afford to. I mean, that really, really broke my heart. I was hoping that she was going to make it through and, you know, um, happy ending. But, you know, so sorry. Yeah, to that's all the thing. That's her. why I was saying it was always like I was breathing, coming up for air because uh, it was it wasn't one thing. It was one thing after another, after another, after another. Like you, I felt like I never really got a break. I mean, not, I never had the happy ending. And like people always assume like. I guess what they want to have this Disney ending and none of that ever really happened to me um, until now, hopefully. (laughs) But, you know, like my mom, like she abandoned me when I was a kid. And that's another thing that people always assume, like if I'm going to go knock on my mom's door, that she's going to be like an open arm and like it's going to be some like Cinderella Disney stuff happening. And that's not reality because reality is she left for a reason, you know, uh, it's not like just because you knock on that door, she's going to be welcoming, you know, and yeah, I'm not yeah. the only one that's experienced this. I've talked to other people that has gone through similar experiences as me, as far as like the mom abandoning you for a certain reason. And yeah. when we visit it, um, I try revisiting her. She didn't want me, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't look <laughs> like a happy ending. Well, I mean, I, I've heard stories of, you know, maybe fathers living, but I, I'd like to, well, I can't even imagine. I like to imagine that, 
that feeling of abandoned by by one's mom who's supposed to be like the bringer of life that mm-hmm. cuts deep you know and so i don't know how you're navigating that but i just want to say that you know i'm so so sorry to hear that she doesn't want to be a part of your life she's really missing out on so many things yeah but i mean also i think that's uh, a lot of a lot of us go through that a lot of us go yeah. through that and people that don't go through it assume like um all of a sudden like we've knocked on their door and when we're old and they're gonna be like yes and no usually it's probably not the case there's because there's a reason why they left Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk about your dad. For lack of a better word, he looking at your blog, he was a character. Like he oh, had yeah. he he lived a lot of life and he was super adventurous. But there was some I think there was some dark side to him that you kinda talked about. And so let's explore that a little bit. Um, especially the part about him trying to sell you for a used van when things didn't really you know, when things were very difficult for him. Can you just, you know, explain more of that? And especially the trauma you talked about inheriting from, you know, that side of the family. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I know I say that and I, I do stand-up comedy and I, I try to make jokes of it and because, you know, that's how I process things. That's why I, I'm drawn to comedy. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, it was literally true. That's exactly what he tried to do. He tried to sell me off for his van because, and, and it's kind of sad. And if, if I like go and, and I mean, I could write probably violin playing dramas about it, but you know, she was in a bad place and he was desperate. So he, you know, he was trying to use me as his, um, I guess commodity. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't good. <laughs> Yeah, even let's even talk about like you know because I know he said he went he went to Mexico for a bit and then he eventually died. Were you able yeah. to at least reconcile if this was if any if that was applicable before he died? I, I guess the real question here is what was your relationship like with your daddy before you know he passed on? That's another thing. See, that I also had a rough relationship with my dad. My dad was a narcissist. That's why I I'm like. Um, I feel like I'm an expert with narcissists and narcissism and I could spot it right away. And, and, um, part of my stand up, one of my lines is, you know, if you, um, take Donald Trump and Kim Jong un and you, and, and <laughs> they got together and had a baby, then bang, there you go. That's my dad, you know? So. <laughs> Only you can make that joke and get away with it. <laughs> So that's something like I, I've, yeah, I mean, and when you have a narcissistic person as your father, um, uh, just like how Trump put us through nightmare for the last four years, that's like my whole, my, my whole childhood and my whole life's been like that. So I was like, oh, you guys get ready for it because it's coming. But now I'm like, I say, yeah, thank you, Trump, because now like I don't even have to explain what narcissism is or anything and what you have to go through for it. We all have to go through it, you know? Now we're all in the same boat, you know? So yeah, that was my dad. <laughs> I find it to be very appropriate when you go through some really, you know, dark stuff. I, I'm that way as well. I laugh through everything. Sometimes people look at me like you're weird, but it's how you process like the really traumatic stuff. Now I'm still speaking about like traumatic experiences with your family. So I know you have a son now. Congrats on that. I mean, Thank he's you. very, very um, happy and you know, and, and he's growing well. I know you've also talked about him a lot on your blog. How how would you say your experiences so far have? you know, impacted your parenting. I'd like to imagine you are more of a conscious parent, just judging by what I see on your, on your yeah, well, 
Oh, I just know like a lot of people are like, hey, am I a good parent and blah, blah, blah. Like a lot of parents, right? First time parents are always questioning that. I'm just like, hands down, there's no way I'm going to mess up more than my parents did. <laughs> I don't have a lot of pressure on myself. I'm like, you're alive. I'm here. I'm not going to You know, you have a better life than me. So then, like, I, that's I, enough. That's raising the bar already. <laughs> I find myself doing that thing all the old people do where you're like, back in the days, you know, when I was your age, I had to this and this and this, you know, I had to walk a thousand miles and all that stuff, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess we can thank your parents for really, really lowering the bar. That would be a joke we can make. Thank you. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your, because one of the, in, in following your work and seeing what you do, I like what you're doing in creating, you know, characters. And I, I think of someone like Tiffany Haddish, like what she did with the, you know, with, with, with black comedy and all that. Like if nobody was going to give you that role, you, you, you get inventive. And I like how you're just doing what, you know, Korean, American, let me just say Asian characters, making them non-stereotypical. But I'm curious, you know, what has what has it been like, like you're experiencing, you know, uh, being um, in America and being Asian in America? And I said this because, I mean, in navigating Korean entertainment, which I began doing four years ago and learning more about the history, there was this book by um, Yuni Hong, Birth of Korean Cool, and she talked about how way back growing up in the 80s, if you said you were Korean, everybody thought you were Chinese. And they always oh, yeah. had one word for China. Really but now with Japanese. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, they, they just, and there was always that you couldn't bring your food to school. Everybody thought you smelled. But now, you know, Korea is now cool. You know, we have BTS, we have K-pop, we have K-drama. What has that been like for you? I'm just curious to know, like, being, you know, giving your identity as, you know, Korean and also American, how would you say that has changed over the years? And and as well as the appreciation for the diversity that comes with being, you know, a Korean. Well, I think this is a real great time to be um, Korean American for sure. I'm being Korean even better because oh, I'm like because that, there's a um 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 a slight dif- dis- difference that people are not understanding still yet in the mainstream, which is there's a difference between Koreans and Korean Americans, and um very very distinctively different. Because if uh, as a Korean American, when I go to Korea, I'm not Korean. You know, so um, and um, when I see a Korean come here to America, I know that they're not Korean American. <laughs> it's the way they walk, everything. It's different, you know. Um, so um, I know the Koreans have gotten a lot of um, attention in the last several years, and but that, but that very specifically is Korean. It's not Korean American yet. Korean Americans still have to have to have a ways to go to get recognized. Um, as far as uh, Korean Americans in the media, I mean, the closest thing we have right now is actually Korean Canadian, which is a TV show that's about to go off the air, which is... I know, Mr. Kim's coming, yes, yeah! And that's Korean Canadian. There is no Korean American zero, nothing. Um, Steven Yuen is representing Korean Americans, but he didn't win the Oscars, but then everybody... Hey, a diversity and all this stuff, but then at the same time, or inclusion, right? At the same time, like, um, the actress that won, Minotti, it's not Korean American. She's Korean American, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, she's very well represented in Korea. She's a superstar over there. I grew up. She's a veteran. Yeah. <laughs> and she even said she doesn't care about American stuff, and she really couldn't give crap. She's like, she'd rather be in Korea. 
So I'm like, the, the, the media here and the American culture have a long way to catch up, to educate themselves, to understand the diversity and what really the diversity and inclusion is. Because I still feel like they peg us all into one hole. Like they think Asia is a country instead of a continent. Um, <laughs> and like Africa is a country, right? <laughs> I'm going to Africa. Like where in Africa are you going? <laughs> yeah, where, where? <laughs> it's a big place, you know. Just like Asia, you know, you're going yeah. to, <laughs> are you going to India or are you going to Japan? It's very, very different, you know. <laughs> so yeah, I think we still have long ways to go, but definitely it's gotten way better than it was back in the eighties because um, nothing was. We were hardly being represented in the eighties. The only thing we had was Mash. I remember that. Do you remember Mash? And yeah, the, so the army, the army show. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then there was a, a couple Korean characters that was being played by Filipinos, and <laughs> and they would like try to speak Korean, and and we as Korean, you could hear what they're trying to say, and you're like, that is not Korean. And what are they saying? And then I remember my dad was like, don't ever watch that show because they're making fun of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, that that painted my experience of Mash, but <laughs> yeah, but wow, this wow. time to be because now I think um, people are open to um, projects and getting stories like Korean American stories being told now, especially because um, the Koreans in Korea, like BTS and all these other yes, projects, yes. done so well. And yeah. hopefully I mean, into one. <laughs> I hope so too. And I and thank you so much for actually correcting me on that. Like teasing out the nuances between Koreans and Korean Americans. I think sometimes we forget that, you know, there needs to be like a separation. But I'm happy that at least, you know, with there's there's a consciousness now where people are able to understand, oh, this is Korea. It's different from other Asian countries. The hope is that as time goes on, more diverse voices, like Koreans in diasporas, you know, their voices can be heard as well. Yeah. Now you you, you talk a lot about Hollywood, you know, um, and just some of the I guess the same problem we've always had with Hollywood. If you're not white, you know, you know, it's like pick a spot, you know, pick pick a pick a fence and you know, uh, mm-hmm. and start picketing and all that. Um, why is it very important for you to, you know, I try with your new show, you know, Meal Friend. Why is it very important for you to have your voices represented? Well, because that's the whole problem right now with the whole Asian violence, the Asian hate that's going on. It's because we're not being um, represented because there are not visible we're invisible that's part of the problem uh, our stories are not being told so you get a lot of people saying ignorant things you know and um I, I, I'm really passionate about that because first off, I mean, this is a business that I've been in all my life since I was 17. I've been in the film industry. I mean, even before that, because I was uh, grew up in a video store. This is what I do. This is what I know. Um, and also, I feel like this is my belief that what the media portrays people as is um, influences people's lives drastically, um, very dramatically, because I feel like most of Americans uh, live in bubbles and they don't associate with people that is outside of what they're comfortable with and the only time that they actually see a person that's a person of color or like somebody different from them is in the media and in TV and um, on the screen so if if we're not being represented
planet and we're not visible and we're just like this one noted person in the background that's supposed to serve the story of a white character along and we're just a dry cleaner or like a you know um a gardener then that's what they're gonna see us as like just like with all the chicanos and black americans like the, all they see is them being criminals because that's what they're being represented as all the time instead of as a human so that's why i'm so passionate and i feel like being visible and being represented is very important Thank you for that. I mean, that's a very, very important point you raised. We need to tell our stories. And I, we've talked about this, you know, on the show as well. It's probably for, like, Blacks and uh, for Africans that are from the diaspora moving to the U.S. There's so many things we didn't know about, for example, Black Americans. Because everything we knew about them were, you know, things we saw on TV. And we have no idea. People have no idea the power media has in influencing your thoughts. We really yeah. have no idea. Just the part. I mean, maybe some people know, but the people that really, really know I tend to be the ones that are usually at the hands of those diabolical modes because what you know is just what you know. But I'm glad that with, you know, the, the advent of the internet and connectivity, we can have that diversity of, of stories and not just stick to that one, you know, media source. And, you know, so it's glad to hear what you're doing and thanks for explaining why it's very important for you to have, you know, your own voice as well represented in, you know, in this space um so you moved to hawaii um you've you've lived in many places you know south carolina la now you moved to hawaii and you described i haven't been there before but the way you described it i could sense that it feels more like home for you because you don't have to explain yourself almost like you found your people not like your people people but they're still your people compared to when you were living in la i think for example when you talked about you know the school districts you know Comparing the LA school district and everything they wanted you guys to do, donating money, you know, being all picky and, and things like that, and just the freedom we have for Hawaii. So I'm curious to know what's home like for you right now, and has Hawaii really been, you know, a semblance of home for you? I'm still trying to figure things out. I mean, it's been a weird year because of the COVID. Um, and so I haven't been able to go out and meet a lot of people um, as of yet, you know. So I'm still like, I'm in my little farm bubble right here, just trying to build my farm and um, doing a okay job at it. <laughs> I'm a city girl. So I've never done any farming before. So I mean, if I don't kill as many trees as I should, then I think I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> And now I've gotten really familiar with the chickens, so they've I've learned a lot about chickens, which it's fascinating because yeah, I didn't know. I mean, and you know, being in the city, I didn't have any pets. So the only pet I had was a cat or something like this. So yeah. now it's like it, it's it's very different, right? Having chickens running around, and I and they're very have- smart. Chickens are very smart. I tell people that, yeah. They're smart. I grew up with chickens, though. They're little pets. They're like, and they're, they're very territorial, too. Oh my God. Like, yeah. they'll, like, this is my spot, and then they won't move. And, and they like to cuddle. They like to cuddle. Oh. They like, yeah. They like to cuddle. Yeah, you I'm just tired. I'm just scared of them pooping on me because they just, they don't have what control of their bowel movements, right? And it just poop comes out. <laughs> you, get, you get used to it. <laughs> Oh, but they're really cute. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, um, sounds like you're living quite a life. Um, so, but I'll say, like, in all of the places you've been to, like, um, LA, South Carolina, even South Carolina was kind of a big thing for you. But how do you like Hawaii so far? And um, what's it been like as far as you're feeling like, you know, you're seeing more Asian Americans there and what that really means like for you? Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like, like it's a mecca for like, it's like a mini mecca in a way. 
Yeah, well, there's a um, big Asian American population here.、Um, so I mean, like, like I've been in a bubble here, so I haven't like met as many people as I, w- I wish I could have. But、um, uh, uh, generally speaking, there's a lot of Asian Americans here, so I don't have any fear of、um, Asian hate violence or anything like that. Because you know they'll get their ass kicked if they try to do, <laughs> do any Asian hate stuff out here.、Um, and the culture is very.、Um, uh, uh, Asian in a sense because it's a Polynesian culture, and Polynesian culture is very、um, similar to the Asian culture where it's family, family first, it's community, it's children, and it's elders. And I and、really、it's the food. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, the yeah, and、uh, and you know we're、uh, the island that I'm on have a lot of agriculture, so there's、wow. a lot of great、um, vegetables and fruits out here. That I'm having a hard time growing, <laughs> <Wow> . <laughs> but I'm <Wow> . trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It's just going、um, back to the basics, you know. I really、um, love that. It's just you know putting your hands in the earth, and I'm off the grid, so I'm really gone down to like basic basics. Where when the light goes out,、um, going to bed, you know that kind of stuff. When the sun goes down, you know, I go yeah, to go to bed. With everything you've gone through, like just losing your your dad and your grandma and the moves you've had to do, and even you know pivoting your career, despite all of the challenges that has come with that, what would you say has helped you cope with the difficult times? I know you said comedy and having a good sense of humor. But what other things, you know, would you say has helped you really cope, especially for those that might be, you know, in similar situations listening to this? Um, I guess. Uh, I mean, it, it's it depends. Every situation is different, you know. You've you've got to be able to、um, be flexible、uh, and and. See each situation for what it is.、Um, well, some of the important things I would say is get your ego out of the way because a lot of people, when your ego is in the way, you can't see things clearly.、Um, so get your ego out of the way so you could see things from a clear perspective where it's not about you; it's about the whole thing, the whole circumstances.、Um, and also just knowing that whenever.、Um, Shit happens because <laughs> shit's gonna happen. It's the choices that you make from that happening、um, that's more important than the stuff that's happening to you. And 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 also just know that everything, whatever, anything, it's temporary. You know, like if you're you're depressed or you're down or all this stuff, just know that th- that's temporary. It's not forever. And before you know it,、uh, life is life is life is. I wouldn't say funny. Life is unpredictable. You just don't know. You don't know. You think you do, but you don't know. Maybe tomorrow, all of a sudden, like everything's changed. I mean, look at this COVID. I mean, it, it, the world changed for us overnight. It was overnight, you know. And nobody would have predicted that, you know. So just know that everything is temporary. Wow!、Yeah. Thanks for that. I love what you said about flexibility because stuff is going to happen to you in life. I think. What really matters how you stand is how you react to them. You know, changes、mm-hmm. will always happen. And、mm-hmm. if you're going through a tough time, I hope you've been encouraged to just you know keep trying and don't give up hope. Now,、mm-hmm. um, finally, you have a new show, Meal Friend.、Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about it and the inspiration behind it, and where people can go find you? Well, it's a,、uh, it's you know, I had a, I had a kid, and I just saw a lot of crazy stuff happening in Venice Beach, and it was also gentrifying. So I was like, okay, let me do because you know I like to 
make everything into a comedy to cope with stuff. So, so I was going through stuff and I started writing this thing. So a male friend is mother I like to friend. <laughs> and I was thinking for that clarification. <laughs> And yeah, and and I wanted to. Um, uh, uh, it was kind of a joke. The whole thing was uh, in the name of fun, because um, um, the first script that everybody always writes is some big sappy drama about their shitty past, right? And I was like, once you get over that, I was like, okay, I want. That is like, I just wanted to put a gun to my head and shoot myself when I was writing that kind of stuff. That I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just gonna write whatever it is that I want to watch. That. So then that's like it's like my friend. And my friend also was a joke in a sense that the title just when, when like a guys are up at two in the morning googling milf, I thought my show was gonna pop up and be like, ha, there you go, <laughs> a bunch of funny women. But you know, it's not too common, so they might like it too, right? So, <laughs> but um, the show nice is about nice. Yeah, right? it's a joke on the on the on the men too. On top of it, but yeah, the uh, the com- it's a comedy. It's a scripted comedy about crazy ass moms and gentrifying Venice Beach, where culture, color, and class clash because with gentrification people uh, uh, I mean now I think because when I shot this and uh, wrote it it was before the Me Me Too and the Black Lives Matter movement, and I actually had a very opposite reaction from people from it because people didn't want to hear about it they didn't want to deal with it i think a lot of people were in denial about systemic racism and all this stuff and that's basically what i was trying to show in a comedy version because it's about intersectionality where you have all these different different lives and different families and different walks of background clash into each other and um the the main character i play she's a korean american punk who's um taking care of her grandmom you know like because you know they say write about what you know so um i I, you know took a lot of my experiences and you know you kind of twist it and turn it a little bit make it um funnier or whatever you're gonna do so it's about and she's out of place she's somebody that doesn't belong anywhere and she's looking for a home and what she wants to do is buy a home for her grandmom and her to live in but you know that's impossible it's never gonna happen we know it's never gonna happen because houses in venice are start at million dollars you know this is like a, a woman that does, can't hold a job so it's that's why it's a comedy because you know <laughs> And then uh, her best friend is uh, Jesus, who is uh, um, a Chicano, Chicana family that's been in uh, in L.A. all their life because L.A. used to belong to Mexico. Um, you know, America came and stole it. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're the natives. They're the ones that belong there. But they're getting pushed out because gentrification, it means gentrify is the gentleman class, which is middle, upper middle class, coming in, taking over your place by you know buying it all up so that was what i saw happening so um there's like these influx of white or white identifying families because it's not just a skin color you know white is to me not a skin color it's you know it's it's a it's a kind of a more of a cultural thing it's the capitalism and you know all that stuff coming in and taking over with money and which then you start then have to talk about class, right? Because it's the different classes. Because you know, some people are not making as much money as you to be able to buy a million dollar house, you know. So then um, I have them all kind of clash into each other and kind of have a little car crash. It's it's fun to watch it. Something might be watching watching the burn. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thank you. And and yeah, I watched a couple of them. I like the one on Karen. I thought that was and the, and the video quality is really really good. Like awesome job. Like 
it was very crisp and almost like watching like a TV show. I know it's like, you know, brand as a TV show, but you know how you watch a lot of things on YouTube and you just forget that. Oh my gosh, like, you know, you can actually yeah, put you need to get to the episode. I, I forget the number, but it's in the middle, like five, six or something like this. When you get there, um, that's when um, the, the, the yoga moms, I call it the yoga moms, uh, <laughs> crash with everybody. And it's, it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> okay. Thanks for that heads up. Thanks for that heads up. Before you go, when you were thinking about living in the um, the trailer community and you had a black girl who was your friend you played with, yeah. she didn't speak a lick of Korean, you didn't speak a lick yeah. of English. Yeah. Have you ever been able to connect to her? I'm just curious to know. No, no, I, I don't even know her name. Is that? But I have so many of that in my life where I've I've had really special moments and special bonds with a lot of people. But because I moved around so much, I, I have like a handful of people like that that like made an impact in my life that I've never ever um, met again. And I I always wonder about them. And I always go, oh yeah, if I ran into them like at a bar, would I even recognize them now? Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Um, well, this was really it. I just want to say thank you so much for all of your time and sharing of your experiences and everything you you know all about. And before you go, how can people find you and your work? Uh, you can find me on my website, which is yomamarice.com because <laughs> I'm a okay, mom. That's a, very, that's a very interesting name, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because I was tired of everybody making jokes of moms, you know, yo mama this, yo mama that. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be yo mama and I want to be hot. But of course, I don't know if I'm doing the hot part right. But I'm like, but I'm yoma and then um, I'm a mom right. and I'm yeah. like nice. So I'm like, yeah. I'm yeah. all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yo mama rice and you're your well, side of the world. Yeah, and you can also find me um, on the handle at Yo Mama Rice on their Instagram and Facebook and on YouTube, Yo Mama Rice does not cook. I do not cook. I just eat. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, you've heard from um, Yo Mama Rice. I just want to say thank you. This has been a very fun episode to tape. Um, wishing you all the best and hopefully we can get you back on again and you know, we talk about your other projects as well. Anyways, from everyone here on the show, I just want to say thank you so much. And um, yeah, it was nice talking with you today. Thank you so much, Mo. Thank you for having me. All right, Thanks. guys. Don't forget to go catch up on the episode. And um, if you love this, um, put a comment out there. And also, don't forget to share and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast on. I remain your host, Mo Sibyl. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Morosible Podcast. Well, guess what? There's plenty more where that came from. So visit our website at www.mosibyl.com. That is www.mosibyl.com, where you can find hours of other binge-worthy episodes just like this one. And while you're at it, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Podbean as it encourages other awesome people like you to listen to the podcast as well. We are now officially on Podbean. It has an app. You can catch up on missed episodes and also get a notification when we have new episodes. Do you have a question for our guests, feedback on the episode, or a suggestion for a future guest? Then please get in touch with us by sending us an email at talktomo at mostable.com or connect with us via Instagram at the Moral Civil Podcast. Cannot wait to hear from you and thank you so much for always listening. Mm-hmm.